Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Monday, April 19. And today on The Briefing, the Aussie scientist who's the first woman and the first Australian to ever be a principal investigator on a Mars mission. There's not too much risk in, uh, in getting off the Earth, but coming into Mars, that was much more exciting and scary to watch. That's Australian geologist Dr Abigail Olwood. She's working for NASA and she is our guest today. Uh, that Perseverance rover is actually on Mars right now and it's trying to answer a huge question. I'm not sure it would be a case of necessarily going, holy dooly, you know. Yeah, right. We found evidence of life on Mars today, you know, headlines all over the world. It's more subtle and more deep than that. Yeah, Life on Mars, our interview with Dr. Olwood and Jan Fran in just a moment. First, here are the big stories of the day, joined by Annika Smethers. A reset of the vaccine rollout will be on the agenda when state and federal leaders start meeting twice a week from today. National Cabinet is now meeting twice a week, uh, almost on a war footing, if you like. That's Employment Minister Stuart Roberts speaking on the ABC yesterday. Clearly got his talking points, Annika. Yeah, and mass vaccination centres will be discussed when leaders meet with Victoria yesterday announcing it will open three vaccination hubs from Wednesday. Yeah, New South Wales and South Australia have revealed similar plans. Uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison said yesterday he was looking forward to talking to those states about their plans in today's meeting. I know some states are very interested in supporting larger vaccination programs now for people aged 50 to 70. But Labor says the Prime Minister's meeting with the states is a sign the federal government needs help. Scott Morrison pulling National Cabinet together is finally an admission from him that his vaccine rollout strategy isn't working. A very critical read there from Labor's Mark Butler. I guess it's really actually a good thing that they're working together, isn't it, Annika? Yeah, I'd say that we definitely need it. It doesn't mean the feds hasn't, haven't made a few mistakes to mm. get us here, but I think we've got to put a politics aside a little bit at the moment and just get these vaccinations out. Yeah, doctors and the Australian Medical Association have called on state and federal governments to work together, and they say that's what's needed to restore public confidence in the rollout. Quarantine-free travel between Australia and New Zealand begins today. But the Prime Minister has warned more travel bubbles won't be opening anytime soon. Australia is in no hurry to open those borders, can I assure you? It's real push and pull here, isn't it? We're sort of, you know, getting these expectations of home quarantine and, you know, open travel bubbles, but then it's just pulled back. That's still still one of the hardest parts about living through this pandemic, isn't it? Yeah, that issue's really been a problem for the government in the last week. As you say, we've heard quarantine-free travel and being able to stay at home and a bunch of different options on the table. And then in the same sentence... We're not going to be going to any new countries anytime soon, Tom. Yeah, and that's what they'll be discussing at the National Cabinet meeting as well today uh, because, yeah, as we say, they floated that idea last year. So I think the states are fairly resistant, particularly the tougher states like Western Australia with Mark McGowan. So it'll be interesting to see how that conversation goes. The COVID pandemic is raging around the world. The issues of borders and how they're managed will be done very, very carefully. Mm, Tough talking Scott Morrison there. Look, an official welcome is planned this morning in Auckland for the first quarantine-free passenger flight arriving from Australia. The Jetstar flight will arrive just after 11am New Zealand time. And Sydney authorities are investigating cases of community transmission inside hotel quarantine. A family of return travellers who tested positive for the virus are being considered locally acquired cases after they caught the virus while staying in a Sydney hotel. The family of three was found to have caught a virus with the same genetic sequence as another family staying next door, which returned from a different country on a different day. Uh, AMA President Dr Omar Korshid says there are several ways the virus might have spread. 
Now, there may be a super spreader uh, in that hotel and just the way that uh, the air moves through the hotel uh, can end up uh, going out into a corridor and then back into another room with doors opening and closing. And that's thought, uh, in the cases we've seen so far, to be the most likely explanation. All the guests staying on the same floor as the families have been retested and staff who worked on the floor are in self-isolation. And the US has warned Russia there'll be consequences if opposition activist Alexei Navalny dies in prison. The critic of President Putin has been on a hunger strike for more than two weeks, demanding proper medical treatment for his conditions from the doctor of his choice. And doctors are warning that Navalny could have a heart attack or a kidney failure at any moment. And this is the warning from US National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan for Russia. We have communicated to the Russian government that what happens to Mr. Navalny in their custody is their responsibility and they will be held accountable by the international community. Yeah, and the world is certainly watching that situation. The UK's national period of mourning has ended following the funeral of Prince Philip. Yeah, people stopped around the country in the UK for a minute's silence on Saturday as the funeral began. Uh, The service itself was only attended by 30 people due to COVID restrictions and they all wore face masks and were spread apart on the church pews in order to social distance. Prince Harry is now also reported to be considering staying on in the UK to mark the Queen's 95th birthday on Wednesday. He was seen speaking to his brother William as they walked away back to Windsor Castle after that funeral ceremony on Saturday. Everyone in the UK seems to have become a body language expert. (laughs) Here's former Royal Press spokesperson Dick Arbiter reading into that moment. Hopefully the ice has been broken, but then, see, Harry's got to go back into quarantine, so there's not going to be much opportunity of talking, but at least it seems the ice has been broken. Do you have a hot tank on the... the (laughs) <laughs> on the Harry William relationship? Look, I watched the funeral. I came back from a wedding late on Saturday night and it was on. So um, I was keen to see how that how they looked together, you know, using my body language skills. Mm. But it was good to see them talking. It, I wouldn't say it was um, a warm conversation, in mm. my opinion. But as we know, they hadn't spoken up until now. And it did seem like it was Catherine who sort of, I guess, started the ball rolling on that one. Right. She kind of, what, she herded them together and then pulled back? Uh, started the conversation maybe, so at least, Mm. um, you know, got him talking, which is a good start. There is something about funerals where you cut through the crap and you get real. So maybe it was a really good moment. I personally hope so. Um, (laughs) Annika, we'll catch you tomorrow. Jan Fran's jumping in as we speak to this incredible Australian scientist working with NASA. February 18, 2021. Look, it's a date that probably doesn't mean much to the average person, but I reckon space nerds will know what I'm talking about. It was the day that the rover Perseverance landed on Mars. Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars, ready to begin seeking the sands of past life. Perseverance is the fifth NASA rover to explore the red planet, and it's being sent with the explicit goal fairly big goal of working out whether there is or ever has been life on Mars. Is there life on Mars? Mm, Yeah, we're not sure if there's life on Mars, but thanks to Perseverance, we know that there's at least some kind of a breeze. And that was the first ever sound recording made on Mars, by the way. One of the seven instruments on board this rover was designed by an Australian geologist, Dr Abigail Orwood. It's called Pixel. She now works for NASA. 
and she is the first woman and also the first Australian to ever be a principal investigator on a Mars mission. That's huge. And she joins us now, which is even huger. Actually, it's not not as huge as the work she's doing, but it's huge for us. Um, She joins us from her home in California, and she lives around the corner from NASA's um, famous Jet Propulsion Laboratory. But during the pandemic, even people at NASA have had to work from home. So if you hear some background noise during this interview, this is what Abigail's been living and working with as she's been sending this Mm -hmm. instrument she designed to Mars. Yeah, making massive technological feats on the red planet. Still can't get the internet to be 100% here on Earth. But Dr. Orwood, thank you so much for being with us. How did it feel to see this rover on Mars? It was uh, quite an amazing feeling to have an instrument on, on board a rover that's landing on Mars, just from the perspective of having seen it, you know, literally had it in your, in your hands just a year or so before and then to see see it actually coming down and the video recordings that were made of, of the landing were actually made even more spectacular than it. I had no idea what the such spectacular video recordings were going to be taken. I knew there were some but I uh, had no idea. I don't think anyone had an idea exactly what they were going to be like. It was quite impressive. So, and pixels out there right sort of in front and centre of the uh, of the rover coming down. So it was pretty fun, a lot of fun. So where were you when you actually saw it land? I was in the study here at home in the office uh, with my husband and my daughter on the, on the, on the guest bed. <laughs> we had a, um, a separate Zoom watch party with uh, all of the Pixel Instrument team and science team. So there's about 600, 700 people all in one Zoom. Oh, wow. We were sort of able to talk to each other and, and, uh, and watch the, the video at the same time. So this Pixel, that's, that's the device that you're operating. How does that work in combination with the rover? So Pixel is one of seven science instruments on the rover and uh, it's one that uh, is on the end of the robotic arm and it's an X-ray spectrometer, which means that it uses X-rays to measure the chemical composition of rocks and soils and it does it at a very fine scale. So it has a, a, an X-ray beam that it shoots at the rock and from a very close distance, from about two and a half centimetres away, which is closer than anything any instrument has ever been placed to the surface of Mars before with such precision. How big is this device and what does it look like physically on the rover? It's about the size of a pretty hefty lunchbox. <laughs> it's about 20 centimetres on a side and cubic sort of shape roughly. And uh, at the end of the rover arm there's a turret which is like a big cheese wheel thing that rotates and then we're one of the instruments on that sort of cheese wheel and it's a, a, a large white box that uh, is on one half of the, that side of that turret. Wow, okay. So how long did it take to actually get to Mars? It took about seven months or so, and uh, I must say that the landing was much more fun to watch than the than the um, the launch, just because uh, I think watching the launch was like uh, I've seen so many launches on on the internet anyway. It's just like watching another one of those, and it, there's not too much risk in, uh, in getting off the Earth. But coming into Mars is such a there's been so many accidents coming into Mars that yeah. uh, you know, that, that that was much more exciting and scary to watch. Well, were you nervous at all the night before? Like, did you sleep? I didn't get worried the night before or, either, you know, even the months before. Cause I just sort of had thought that these guys have this in hand, you know, they've done it before and this is all going to be relatively easy. But then as it was coming down, you know, as they read off things like, you know, the parachute deployed, I thought, uh, okay, there was an alternative universe, but it might not have. <laughs> so I'm really glad that parachute actually deployed. <laughs> so it made me weep. <laughs> Pretty impressive. It's just extraordinary. Tell us a little bit about this mission. What's the purpose and how does it work? 
purpose of this mission, the main purpose of this mission is to search for evidence of past life. And it's also going to collect samples for uh, return to Earth and cache them on the surface of, of Mars for a future mission to come and pick them up. The connection there is that scientists on Earth, the science community on Earth, has, has felt very um, strongly for a long time that if we ever find any evidence of potential um, life on Mars, that to confirm that, you'd really need to bring samples home to Earth and analyse them just to be doubly, doubly, triply, quadruply sure. So that's the connection there. But also, in addition to finding evidence of past life, there's also you know, interpret the geology of the site and that kind of stuff, which is all part and parcel of actually finding evidence for life anyway, if there is anything there. Mm. Uh, so connected sort of set of objectives there and also to, to develop some technologies and lay the path for future human exploration, which is a couple of things that the rover is doing that, that connects to that. It's a pretty um, massive question you're trying to answer there, Abigail. Um, quite quite an important one for humanity to understand what else is or or has been out there what happens if we do find there was life on mars what do we do with that information good question it's not going to be a an overnight switch from we don't know to we do know i think i think that's probably going to be the interesting thing to watch is it'll be a gradual process of more and more people becoming convinced and less and less people you know, writing papers about how alternative explanations are, are reasonable for such and such a discovery. As you gradually come to accept that, then, you know, it's funny because over the last decade or so since um, I came over to the US working at JPL 15, 15 or so years ago, I've watched us go from, a, for, as a science community, from a world where initially I'd go to conferences and people would laugh you off the stage. Well, not me, but if they said something like, you know, lakes or rivers on Mars, they'd be like a fringe sort of a maverick kind of a person that not credible. Now we're going to a place where everyone, no one has any trouble except there was a lake there and and lakes, oceans, rivers, you know, everything, it's 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 all up for grabs and it's quite reasonable and mainstream. But I'm not sure it would be a case of necessarily going, holy dooly, you know. Yeah, right. We found evidence of life on Mars today, you know, headlines all over the world. It would be just like... Yeah. It's more subtle and more deep than that. It's still um, such an incredibly profound thing that you're trying to investigate. I'm just more curious about the logistics of your job. Like, are you are you in an office? Are you working from home like everyone was working from home in 2020? Are you in a massive control centre? Does it look like minority report? Like, I'm sitting on my daughter's bed amongst pile of teddy bears at the moment. If it wasn't for COVID at the moment, I'd be working from an office. On the face of it, it's a, you know you could pass me off as being any sort of office job. Mm. I look at the computer. I, I work on PowerPoint. I have teleconferences or video conferences with people from different places. So the mechanics of what I do each day are pretty familiar to most people. I'm starting now to use uh, software that's a little bit different, like you know software that's been custom designed to to operate a rover on Mars, things like that. So that's a little bit different. It's fun to think about things scientifically that are so, so enormous, so, mm. so profound in their implications. It's a, a real privilege to have a job that actually pays me to do such fun things. So um, the rover's been on Mars since February. Um, have you been able to collect any, any information from Pixel yet? Actually, Pixel is the last instrument because it's most complex, basically, uh, to be commissioned, fully commissioned. So we're at a point now where pretty much every other instrument is now 
in science mode, which is much quicker than we thought they'd be. We've had to wait while the helicopter flies mm. now, which has also been delayed, which is very, very frustrating. Yeah, has that happened yet? <laughs> no, it hasn't happened yet. Um, so it'll happen sometime in the next, I don't know, week or two or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, while that's operating, we cannot do any science. It's, it's, uh, it's been all systems shut down. Uh, until uh, that's finished, and that's 30 souls of, of helicopters. Although they have said that, you know, if um, if it gets delayed too much longer, then they won't persist with, you know, that 30 souls. They'll sort of cut it a bit shorter so we can get on with the science, main real science of the mission. Yeah. Because yeah. the helicopter is just a technology demonstration. And when I say just, I mean, wow, what a technology demonstration mm. it is. But uh, it's, um, it's not part of the science of the mission. Tell us a little bit about your journey to get here. How did you come to be the principal investigator on this mission? Um, well, Pixel is my invention, so I guess that's <laughs> that's how I'm the lead on Pixel. Where did it come from? Because we've read that you've you've done work in the Pilbara using um, a similar approach to looking at the, the history of the rocks there. Yeah, well, in the in the Pilbara, I did my PhD thesis out there from in the early 2000s, and uh, I published a paper in Nature in 2006 with my co-authors, and uh, it showed then based on just field evidence, so as sort of did field geology for three years, three seasons out in the Pilbara, and just based on that, I was able to show that these uh, stromatolites um, found out in the Pilbara region were most plausibly uh, interpreted as being biological, because there was a huge debate about whether or not they were or weren't, and whether or, whether they were or were not, therefore, the, mo- the oldest evidence of life on Earth. Okay, well, from the Pilbara to Mars, that's, that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty solid connection there. What I mean, a journey. Yeah. How, how crucial is Australia's role in this mission? Because I understand that there are going to be scientists from um, Queensland's University of Technology that are going to be analysing a lot of this data. So what's mm. our role here? The role of Australia there is that uh, we have a, a Pixel team in Queensland, in Brisbane, at Queensland University of Technology, uh, who is going to take the the data that are downlinked from a Pixel scan. So say... We decide to scan a rock and we get that scan done overnight on Mars and the next day we, we downlink it to Earth and we have scientists waiting to interpret it. How long till you'll be able to start collecting information from Pixel? I'm hoping sooner than what is currently planned, but the current plan is uh, in about six weeks. That was Dr Abigail Olwood who works with NASA. She's the principal investigator. Her instrument, Pixel, is one of seven on this rover currently on Mars. Sounded like she's getting impatient. They've been messing around with this helicopter. They can't get it to take <laughs> off. Once they sort that out, she can finally get this spectrometer that she's got on board yeah. actually sending back information. Yeah, I mean, she's been working on this for years, if not decades, from her early work in the Pilbara. So she's just, I'm not surprised. She just wants to get it up and running. Come on. She said that the helicopter's not really a scientific <laughs> instrument. It's kind of trash talking the helicopter. I'm utterly amazed by the fact that we can get anything out of the atmosphere, let alone to land on Mars. Like, I am still constantly in awe of the fact that I can get from Sydney to Melbourne in an aeroplane. Like, that's amazing to me, let alone space travel. It's extraordinary. Do you think there's life on Mars? Oh, girl, I'm in no... I woke up this morning, put two different pairs of socks on. I am in no position to be answering any question about (laughs) life. Two pairs? So, like, you were cold? Two different pairs of socks. (laughs) No one should listen to me about anything science-y. Tomorrow on The Briefing... We're having a birthday. It is our first birthday. Um, Yeah, hard to believe it's one year since we started this podcast. We started it 
At the height of the lockdown last year, it was a very, very weird time, but it's been a, a wonderful time to have a news podcast. And yeah, we're going to celebrate with you. We're going to take some of your questions. Um, if you've got any more questions for us, slide into our DMs. Um, we'd love to know what you want to know about and we'll answer them tomorrow on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Listener.